Greeting family, welcome to today's podcast. I'm Fernando, your secretary, alcoholic. Let's go ahead and open this meeting with a moment of silence by the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you much, Fernando Alcoholic. It's only by the the loving uh, courts and the uh, attorney that sent me to Alcoholics Anonymous. I am eternally grateful. My attorney said, someday you're going to thank me, son. And I did, once I paid him off after 10 months. I would take the, the payment personally over there, and I took the last payment, and I said, thank you. My head was out of my butt. You know, the head, unresponsibility to the community, yourself, your loved ones, your payments, your agreements. Can't keep my word. I didn't think AA was going to work for me. I didn't understand God. I was resentful that he was hoovering over my head all the time. And just to know that he was always that friend I found in jail that friend I found in taking the hurts away and talking to me. A very good friend with a lot of love and a lot of weight, weight in his words and his his demeanor and enthusiasm left an impression in me. I said, wow, that guy was a true friend, man. Either he was either black, white, or Hispanic, or Asian, or some kind of individual that God was inside that person talking to me Christ Jesus whom I I call my understanding of my God I didn't understand him I understand him perfectly well today okay today's reading is December the 9th daily reflections love with no price tag When the 12 steps is seen in its full implication, it is really talking about the kind of love that has no price tag on it. 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, page 106. In order for me to start working the 12 step, I had to work on sincerity and honesty and to learn to act with humility. Carrying the message is the gift of myself. No matter how many years of sobriety I may have accumulated, my dreams can become reality. I solidify my sobriety by sharing what I have received freely. As I look back to the time when I began my recovery, there was already a seed of hope that I could help another drunk. Pull myself out of this alcoholic mire. My wish to help another drunk is the key to my spiritual health. But I never forget that God is actually working through me. I am only his instrument. Even if the other person is not ready, there is success because my efforts in his behalf has helped me to remain sober and to become stronger. To act to never grow weary in my 12-step work 
is the key. If I am capable of laughing today, let me not forget those days when I cried. God remembers me that I can feel compassion. Good morning, family. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Fernando, your secretary, alcoholic. Let's go ahead and open this meeting with a moment of silence by the serenity prayer, please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Daily reading of Daily Reflections, December the 9th. Love with no price tag. When the 12th step is seen in its full implications, it is really talking about the kind of love that has no price tag on it. 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, page 106. In order for me to start working the 12th step, I had to work on sincerity and honesty and to learn to act with humility. Carrying the message is a gift of myself, no matter how many years of sobriety I may have accumulated. My dreams can become a reality. I solidify my sobriety by sharing what I have received freely. As I look back to the time when I began my recovery, there was already a seed of hope that I could help another drunk. Pull myself out of this alcoholic mire. My wish to become another drunk is the key to my spiritual health. My wish to help another drunk is the key to my spiritual health. Excuse me. But I never forget that God acts through me. I am only his instrument. Even if the other person is not ready, there is success because my effort in his behalf has helped me to remain sober and to become stronger. To act, to never grow weary in my 12-step work is the key. If I am capable of laughing today, let me not forget those days when I cried. God reminds me that I can feel compassion. Wow. You know, it just crossed my mind. I'm Fernando Alcoholic. How how uh, what an incredible army of alcoholics uh, God has put together through Bill and Bob. It's just amazing. Go anywhere, do anything, care, and have compassion. Compassion is what got me the weight of the sincerity of the people's lives and their testimony. That's what I want. All right, now let's move on to the little 24-hour book for December the 9th. Again, welcome. I pray that you have a wonderful, terrific day today. A remarkable day at that. The way of AA is the way of fellowship. We have read a good deal about fellowship, and yet it is such an important part of the AA program that it seems we cannot think too much about it. Human beings were not meant to live alone. A hermit's life is not a normal or natural one. We all need to be by ourselves at times, but we cannot really live without the companionship of others. Our nature demands it. Our lives depend largely upon it. The fellowship of AA seems to us to be the best in the world. Do I fully appreciate what the fellowship of AA means to me? Meditation for the day. 
We are all seeking something, but many do not know what they want in life. They are seeking something because they are restless and dissatisfied without realizing that faith in God can give an objective and a purpose to their lives. Many of us are at least subconsciously seeking for a power greater than ourselves because that would give us a meaning to our existence. If you have found that higher power, you can be that means of leading others all right by showing them that their search for a meaning to life will end when they find faith and trust in God as the answer. Prayer for the day. I pray that my soul will lose its restlessness by finding rest in God. I pray that I may find peace of mind in the thought of God and His purpose for my life. I'm Fernando Alcoholic. I felt, saw, and experienced this in my first few meetings. And uh, and then I experienced that I would forget my DUI and my all the barns I had set on fire outside of the meeting for an hour. And then it went for an hour and 15 minutes, and then two hours, three hours. Eventually, coming to meetings encompassed a whole 24-hour day. So I was at peace, I was with truth, I was with honesty, and I was with love. Plus, I had uh, understanding and insight in what to do and what not to do and where to go and where not to go and how to speak and, and how not to speak and how to be of service and how not to be lazy. Amazing, amazing words put together by a bunch of alcoholics. And the amazing thing is that these words have been here for thousands and thousands of years. That they added the right formula, you know, a little compassion, a little experience, talking about ourselves, each of, each of us taking God at our own uh, level. I love it. I'm here to win it. We're here to win it. God bless you. Have a great day. Give them heaven. Let's go ahead and pray out with the Lord's Prayer, please. Let's remember those who are out there still suffering and dying because of this disease and all the children that are caught in the crossfire and the housewives and the mothers, you know, especially the mothers and the dads. Uh, Welcome to my podcast. I love you. If no one told you they love you. Uh, there is hope, faith, and enthusiasm. It's what I found in AA. I went in any 12-step program. I go to Al-Anon. I also am a friend of the uh, the Battle of the Bulge team. Remember, with God, all things are possible. Don't take yourself too seriously, folk. Just say, thank you, God. All right, let's go ahead and pray the Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back, family. It's working. We're uh, 
We're going to be doing the daily reflection today, so let's go ahead and pray the um, uh, the serenity prayer, please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Okay, let me uh, here to set aside prayer. Real fast. Lord, help me to set aside everything I think I know about you. Everything I think I know about myself. My fellow man. And this program. For a brand new revelation in you, God. And in myself. In my fellow man and in my program. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, today for December the 9th, welcome everybody to the Daily Reflections. It says, love with no price tags today is taken out of the 12 steps and 12 traditions, page 106. When the 12 step is... I'm hearing, uh, excuse me, I'm hearing street noise. Whoever's got the street noise, can we mute? Okay, I think Anthony was muted. I think it was Anthony. Oh, okay. All right. Now I'm hearing some paper. Is that you, Kimberly? No. <laughs> it's a crinkling, crinkling from Rick. Well, you, 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 you There's look, no crinkles over here. It's just static. It's, it'll go away. Yeah, well, okay, let's, here we go again. Um, when the 12 steps is seen in its full implication, it is really talking about the kind of love that has no price tag on it. In order for me to start working the 12 steps, I had to work on sincerity and honesty and to learn to act with humility. Carrying the message is a gift to myself, no matter how many years of sobriety I may have accumulated my dream can become reality. I solidify my sobriety by sharing what I have received freely. As I look back to the time when I began my recovery, there was already a seed of hope that I could help another drunk pull himself out of his alcoholic mire. My wish to help another drunk is the key to my spiritual help. But I never forget that God acts through me. I am only his instrument. Even if the other person is not ready, there is success because my effort in his behalf has helped me to remain sober and to become stronger. To act, to never grow weary in my 12-step work is the key. If I am capable of laughing today, let me not forget those days when I cried. God reminds me that I can feel compassion. Wow, that's a lot. And I really like that part where it says uh, carrying, the gift, carrying the message is a gift to myself. Huh, that's amazing. Um, this is the key. Helping another one is the key to my spiritual health. And I learned that by losing 14 years of not coming to, not doing that. And I lost 14 years by not making coffee for people or, uh, or being there for the newcomer. We have a guy that's undocumented right now and he's, and he's, he's been drinking. He's, and, uh, I guess he's working here with a visa. He's got three kids. Uh, a wife that's nagging him and uh, <laughs> but he's he likes the the weight of the friendship so we took him to breakfast the other day uh, 
you know, Les and I, there must have been over a hundred years of sobriety on the table, and, and the guy only had a, like a couple of weeks, and we we had a great time. Anyway, that's what we do. We try to uh, just give our our our. Our, our time with a cup of coffee to uh, new people like they did me when I was new. So let's let's go ahead and talk about the compassion that you've gotten on this uh, when people were were kind to you in AA and then you in turn gave it to another person. Was that okay? Okay. I'm Kimberly. I'm an alcoholic. Okay, Kimberly. Um, yeah, you know, I was sharing on, um, I, I go to the 24-7 international meetings pretty regularly. Um, I, you know, I, I started, I got another eye infection, and uh, so it's a little bit difficult to get out, and I, I'm really grateful for that, that international meeting online. And... Uh, when it says here, even if the other person is not ready, there is success because my effort in his behalf has helped me to remain sober and to become stronger. Um, but, you know, that when we read in our, our big book that selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of our troubles, that we had to be rid of self. And when I think about the other people in the meeting, um, you know, I, I'm thinking of how I can best meet their needs. And that being on that service team, I can help the meeting continue, you know. Um, and by sharing how I stayed sober and what I did to stay sober, I'm helping the other person under, get an understanding of how the program works. And um, it says here, my wish to help another drunk is the key to my spiritual health. Um, and when it says my wish, it's not always just the helping, you know, because it told us in our reading that we've been doing for over the last year, it said, we relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. And it also, I shared this this morning too. It says, my constant thought of others our very lives as ex-problem drinkers depends on the constant thought of others and how we may meet their needs. So where it says here, my wish to help another drunk is the key to my spiritual health. That's how it works. I wish to help. I have a wish. I'm constantly thinking of others and how can I meet their needs, you know? And yes, you know, I got to take care of myself. And yes, I got to take care of the things that I need to do to stay um, sober myself, but I also have to have that constant thought of others and how I can meet their needs. And my constant thought is what it says here, my wish to help another person. You know, that means that my, my intentions are good. And like I see Fernando working, you know, he has, he gets up and Fernando, you get going and you have a wish to help others. And, and that's that for me as a real alcoholic, um, and when we talk about that in our book, uh, that root of that self-centeredness, that root of our, our problems is that selfishness and self-centeredness. Um, we have to be out of ourselves. It says we must or it kills us. 
And, you know, killing it, you know, could be, it kills me, could be, well, it kills me spiritually. I could be the walking dead. You know, so what I have to turn around and say, okay, what can I do? I wish to be of service. I wish to be of service. All right. I got to go to my job today. I got to perform my job. For me, it's here taking care of my health, my eyes, whatever. But then my thought is constant thought of how can I, like later on today, what can I do to help another person? And and that also has to do with continuing my steps. Like, so I'm starting in another inventory. I'm going to be making sure that, you know, my resentments aren't continuing, you know, taking good care of my um, myself, that I'm not being resentful. And the way that that's helped, that I don't get resentful or, or, or ticked off, is immediately thinking of how can I maintain that spiritual health. So, again, I, and I have that underlined. My wish to help another drug is the key to my spiritual health. But I have to have steps in place myself first. You know, when I was new, I and, and when I was, you know, new this last time, which is a very sad story, but, um, uh, like it says, don't let me forget the days when I was crying about other things. Um, that's pretty much out of me what, what it is. Um, <laughs> love with no price, and I don't expect anything in return. Oh, yeah, that's well, there's... I, I was always trying to get, I was always trying to get to see what I could get out of something. I was always trying to see what, how, what, what can I get out of this? Well, that's, 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 that's bad news for an alcoholic, <clears throat> you know, to try to see what I could get out of the deal. That, that's not a good situation, ever, ever, ever. Well, my sponsor used to tell me that's the only thing I knew when I came in, so that was okay. So, <clears throat> so what can I get out of the program, out of each word? It changed me. When I looked at someone, all I got was words, and then those words directed me. Words of compassion. How about, let's go ahead and hear from uh, one of you guys, either Anthony or Rick. What kind of compassion did uh, did you experience when he came in? You want to go first, Rick, or I go? Okay, I'll go. My name is Anthony, and um, uh, it says in the mess, carrying the message um, over and about helping others, relate the message. And you're kind of like actually not really helping others, but you're helping yourself in your recovery as well. And I never really walked this. Um, I ne- I've never um, sponsored anyone, but I've, I've given the word of when people ask me for advice of how did I get sober or people that are going through the program that I went through. And when they ask me questions on what's next, it makes me feel good so I can get a taste of how it will feel if I were to walk the steps with someone that's new. Um, and yeah, that, that feeling of, of surrounding yourself with people that are trying to better themselves helps me in my recovery. Amen. Beautiful. Um, yeah, you know, it's a, amen, that, boy, you're listening. (laughs) You're listening. How about Rick? Rick, do you need to uh, unmute yourself? Rick? Yeah. Can you hear me, Rick? You need to unmute, Rick. He's, he's got... Muted. Yeah. 
uh, on the lower left side. Oh, you're muted again. You pressed it back in. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah, but now your video's off. Oh, God. Now you're muted. I don't know what's going on. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead and talk. We, we can hear you. you know, when, I first, when I first started the program, I was, I was very lost. I thought, this, this can't work for me. You know, this is, this is just nonsense. But after being in the, in the groups for, for a certain amount of time, I started realizing that I had people that I could that I could actually trust and talk to, and by talking was was, was enabling me to to understand the words that I was reading, and and by understanding them it became part of me, and uh, uh, that part I, I have helped quite a few people you know along the way. Uh, just just by giving them advice and, and you know making sure that they they go and follow my advice, you know just by checking back with them or calling them or you know just just by being around where, where they can find me, because uh, if you can't give what you have, then you know it's it's you're defeating the purpose, you know because we we have to share what we know, we have to share what we felt, you know so someone else can feel. You know, and, and it comes deep down, and it's, the spirituality comes later. You know, after you've done the readings for a while, you start you start realizing, you know, God is helping me here. You know, I, I can't do it without Him. I, I I would be I would be I would be empty. I would be blank. You know, if I didn't have God, you know, to to turn to and and to pray to. But um. I don't push religion on people. You know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell them, you know, give them some good advice, but I don't push religion because that has to come from within. You know, that has to come from within your own heart. You know, you, you have to you have to want to have a God listening to you and be by your side. That's all I got. Beautiful, beautiful man. Boy, you guys got some music inside you. I'm glad we had the session. Okay, uh, you know, the, Rick said the the book calls it the weight of our testimonies to others. You know, the weight. You know, and and I remember when I was like when I wanted to be better, I started running, but I wasn't attending uh, AA. I said, "Well, I'm going to do better. I'm going to run. I'm going to go to school and get my GED." And, and all of a sudden, I run into these guys that are they got it together with their. Uh, and I just, we have a conversation, you know, we're out in the, uh, you know, park or something or looking at ships in San Diego. And, and <clears throat> I didn't want to talk religion, but whatever uh, subject we talked about at that time uh, had weight. Their words had sincerity and weight and left an impression in me. And I, I didn't see them later on until I saw them in AA again, you know, when people were talking with it. weight and sincerity got my attention. Okay, let's go ahead. That's good enough. Let's go ahead and wrap it up. Let you guys go for this rainy day. Thank you so much. It's a remarkable day. Expecting remarkable things. And I, I made 50 bucks unexpectedly yesterday. Woohoo! Norm's Restaurant. <laughs> okay, let's go ahead and pray out with the Lord's Prayer, please. Our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back, family. I love you guys. Have a great have a great day. Hope to see you tomorrow. Okay. Okay. Bye bye. Today to reading uh, 1212, Tradition 2, page 132. I'll start and then counterclockwise, Colleen, and we finish with Mike. <laughs> Tradition 2. For a group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscious. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Where does the AA get its direction? Who runs it? This, too, it's a puzzler. For every friend and newcomer, when told that our society has no precedent, having authority to govern it, no treasurer who can compel the payment of any dues, no board of directors who can cast an erring member into our darkness, when indeed no AA can give another a directive and enforce obedience. Our friends gasp and exclaim, this simply can't be. There must be an angle somewhere. These practical folk then read tradition too and learn that the sole authority in AA is a loving God and he may express himself in a group conscious. They dubiously ask an, ex an experienced AA member if this really works. The member saying to all experiences immediately answers, yes, it definitely does. The friends mutter, that this looks vague, nebulous, pretty naive to them, then they commence to watch us with speculative eyes, pick up a fragment of AA history, and soon have the solid facts. What are these facts of AA life, which brought us to this apparently impractical principle? Pass. Calling alcoholic. Really? John Doe, a good AA, moves, let us say, let us say, to Middletown, USA, alone now, he reflects he may not be able to stay sober or even alive unless he passes on to another alcoholic what was so freely given to him. His, he feels a spiritual and ethical compulsion because hundreds may be suffering within reach of his help. Then, too, he misses his home group. He needs other alcoholics as much as they need him. He visits preachers, doctors, editors, policemen, and bartenders with the result that Middletown now has a group, and he is the founder. Being the founder, he is at first the boss. Who else would it, who else could be? Very soon, through his assumed authority to run, everything begins to be shared with the first alcoholics he has helped. At this moment, the benign dictator becomes the chairman of a committee composed of his friends. These are the growing group's hierarchy of service. Self-appointed, of course, because there is no other way. In a matter of months, AA booms in Middletown. The founder and his friends channel spiritually to newcomers, high, high, higher halls, 
make hospital arrangements, and entreat with their wives to brew <laughs> gallons of coffee. Being on the human side, the founder and his friends may bask a little in glory. They say to another, perhaps it would be a good idea if we continue to keep a firm hand on AA in this town. After all, we are experienced. Besides, look at all all the good we've done for those these drunks. They should be grateful. True founders and their friends are sometimes wiser and more humble than this. But more often at this stage, they are not. Pass. Oh, alcohol. Lone pays now beset the group. Panhandlers, panhandle. Lonely hearts pine. Problems descend like an avalanche. Still more important matter, murmurs are heard in the body politic which swell into a loud cry. Do these old timers think they can run this group forever? Let's have an election. The founder and his friends are hurt and depressed. They rush from crisis to crisis and from member to member pleading, but that is but it's no use. The revolution is on. The group conscience is about to take over. Pass. <laughs> Fernando, alcoholic. Now comes the election. Woohoo! If the founders and his friends have served well, they may, to their surprise, be reinstated for a time. If, however, they have heavily resisted the rising tide of democ democracy, they may be summarily beached. To either case, the group now has a so-called rotating committee, very sharply limited in its authority. In no sense, whatever can its member govern or direct the group. They are servants. Theirs is the sometimes thankless privileges of doing the group's chores. Headed by the chairman, they look after <clears throat> public relations and arrange meetings. Their treasurers, strictly accountable, take money from the hat that is passed, banks it, pays the rent and other bills, and makes a regular report at business meetings. The secretary sees the literature is on the table, looks after the phone answering service, <coughs> answers the mail, and sends our notices of meetings. Such are the simple services that enable the group to function. The committee gives no spiritual advice, judges no one's conduct, issues no orders. Every one of them may be promptly eliminated at the next election if they try this. And so they make the belated discovery that they are really servants, not senators. They are universal experiences. Thus, throughout AA, does the group cons conscience decree the terms upon which its leaders shall serve. Pass. Mike. This brings us to the question, does AA have a real leadership? Most emphatically, the answer is yes. Notwithstanding the apparent lack of it, let's turn again to the opposed founder and his friends. What becomes of them? As their grief and anxiety wear away, a subtle change begins. Ultimately, they divide into two classes known as the AA slang as elder statesman and leading deacons. The elder statesman is the one who sees the wisdom of the group's decision, <coughs> who holds no resentment over his reduced status, whose judgment 
fortified by considerable experience is sound and who is willing to sit quietly on the sidelines patiently awaiting developments. The bleeding deacon is one who is just as surely convinced that the group cannot get along without him, who constantly denies for re-election to the office, and who continues to be consumed with self-pity. A few hemorrhages, a few hemorrhage so badly that drained of all AA spirit and principle, they get drunk. At times, the AA landscape seems to be littered with bleeding, with bleeding forms. Nearly every old timer in a society has gone through this process in some degree. Happily, most of them survive and will and, and live to become elder statesmen. They begin or become the real permanent leadership of AA. Theirs is the quiet opinion, the sure knowledge, and the humble example that resolve a crisis. When surely perplexed, the group inevitably turns to them for advice. They become the voice of the group. In fact, these are the true voice of Alcoholics Anonymous. They do not drive by mandate, they lead by example. This is the experience which has led us to the conclusion that our group conscience, well advised by its elders, will be in the long run wiser than any single leader. When AA was only three years old, an event occurred demonstrating this principle. One of the first members of AA entirely entirely contrary to his own desires was obliged to conform to group opinion. Here is the story in his words. Yeah. Edgar, alcoholic. Edgar. One day I was doing a 12-step job at a hospital in New York. Proprietor Charlie summoned me to his office. Bill, he said, I think it's a shame that you are financially so hard up. All around you, these drunks are getting well and making money. Are you giving this work full-time and you're broke? Isn't it fair? Charlie Fish and his desk came up with a whole financial statement, handing it to me. He continued, This shows the kind of money the hospital used to make back in the 1920s. Thousands of dollars a month. It should be doing just as well now. And it would if only you'd help me. So why don't you move your work in here? I'll give you an office, a decent drawing accountant, and a very healthy slice of profits. Three years ago, no, yeah, three, yeah, three years ago, when my head doctor, Silkworth, began to tell me of the idea of helping drunks by spirituality. I thought it was crackpot stuff, but I changed my mind. Someday, this bunch of ex-drunks of yours will fill Madison Square Garden, and I don't see why you should starve meanwhile. What I propose is perfectly ethical. You can become a lay therapist, a more successful and anybody in the business. I was bowed over. There were a few twinges conscious until I saw how really ethical Charlie's proposal was. 
There was nothing wrong whatever with becoming a lay therapist. I thought of Lois coming home exhausted from the department store each day, only to cook supper for a house full of drunks who weren't paying board. I thought of a large sum of money still owing, owing my Wall Street creditors. I thought of a few of my alcoholic friends who were making as much money as ever. Why shouldn't I do as well as they pass? Calling alcoholic? Although I asked Charlie for a little time to consider it, my own mind was made up. Racing back to Brooklyn on the subway, I had a seeming flash of divine guidance. It was only a single sentence, but the most convincing. In fact, it came right out of the Bible. A voice kept saying to me, the laborer is worth is worthy of its hire. Arriving home, I found Lois cooking as usual, while three drunks looked hungrily on from the kitchen door. I drew her aside and I told her the glorious news. She looked interested, but not as excited as I as I thought she would be. It was a it was a meeting night. Although none of the alcoholics were boarded, seemed to get sober. Some some others had. With their wives, they crowded into the downstairs parlor. At once, I burst into a story of my opportunity. Never shall I forget their impassive faces and their steady gazes. They focused upon me. With wanting enthusiasm, my tail trapped. Off to the end. There was a long silence. Pass. Almost timidly, one of my friends began to speak. We know you hard, you hard up, how hard up you are, Bill. It bothers us a lot. We were often wondering what we might do about it. But I think I speak for everyone here when I say that what you now propose bothers us an awful lot more. The speaker voice grew more confident. Don't you realize, he went on, that you can never become a professional? As generous as Charlie has been to us, don't you see that, that we can't tie this thing up with his, his hospital or any other? You tell us that Charlie's proposal is ethical, Sure, it's ethical, but what we got won't run in ethics only. It has to be better. Sure. Charlie's idea is good, but isn't good enough. This is a matter of life and death, Bill. And nothing but the very best will do. Challenging, my friends look at me as their spokesman continues. Bill, haven't you often said right here in this meeting that sometimes the greatest enemy of the best? Well, this is a plain case of it. You can do this thing to us. Pass. So the so spoke the group conscience. The group was right and I was wrong. The voice on the subway was not the voice of God. And here was the true voice. Welling up out of my friends, I listened and thank God I obeyed. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Fernando Comendo, alcoholic. It's only by God's grace I'm here, fully clothed in my right mind. I'm going to be sharing on Tradition 2 for our ultimate, uh, ult what does it say? Our ultimate what? Tradition 2, for our group purpose, there's but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants, they do not govern. Uh, two things. Uh, God speaks through people. He can speak to the from the newest member 
I remember a guy that came in had about three days and he was so thankful and so grateful and he calls us you you good folks here give me a cup of coffee and you're you're here all the time you know he's just like I heard God in there and it it, it would you know it didn't go away it stuck with me and he may express himself in our group conscience a lot of time God will direct us where to work where to live what to do you know that's what the program is all about to have a conscious contact with God of our understanding and being receptive to his uh, leadings and then it continues to say our leaders are the trusted servants they do not govern our leaders are do thankless jobs in other words consistently bring the books consistently clean the tables consistently make coffee consistently help others and sign court cards and be there available give them rides to courts to see their kids uh, make letters for them be there with them to in court in case they get thrown in the <clears throat> you know in the pokey um, just like that you know uh, counsel the wives the frantic wives send them to Elanon all kinds of activities you do in this area we have written countless letters to courts sometimes they're taking our recommendations sometimes they laugh at us um and read literature with them when they have time too, not at our convenience. The point I'm making is our emotions get hurt. When a, go, a guy goes out and drinks or a lady goes out and, and kills herself and you had a chance to put something into them or they go out and drink and hurt others with the car. So this is, uh, you know, it is it is serious work. It is a ministry. It is uh, it is helpful for me, you know, to be uh, to just see. And every once in a while, a guy will come from the old days and say, "I got two years. I'm still sober." I mean, I work with them very little. Sometimes I only work with guy with one day. They just come, and now the guy's got three months. Huh. Another guy, um, I saw it two three in the morning and i for sure i thought he was going to drink i took him to court i take him back and forth pick him up at home i felt you know what i mean i felt used i felt like a punk i felt like uh cheaplessly every time i picked him up and dropped him off i wanted to beat the snot out of him you know it's just like come on man be a man you know you're living with your brother and his wife and uh and you just got this uh, denial of reality like I used to have I can recognize it you know guess what he was doing the best he could I would drop him off at nice restaurants and I'm thinking God I didn't even invite me in and poor me see if you're in service that poor me you're gonna break your heart many times guess what the guy three in the morning I was at 24-hour fitness club went in there just to use the restroom not to work out um, and he was there and he just got out of his DJ job and he says, hi, Fernando, I got three years, still sober. <laughs> Man, what a shot in the arm. You never know. So we always give the guys our best uh, and and that it speaks volumes just for you to be there and be um, be available. Work on your attitude before you get there. Have something to give them. 
substance, uh, a happiness, a joy that this thing is alive and well and will work for them regardless of their situation. The best to you. Let's go ahead and pray out with the uh, seven-step prayer, please. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me the strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. Keep coming back. It's working. Greetings. Reading today from Chicken Soup for the Recovering Soul. Out of page two, an angel wore fur. Let's go ahead and pray. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. A bleak winter night closed over Detroit. For a lone, unsteady figure rearing along the wet pavement, the weather only seemed to punctuate how cold and dark his life had become. Tom had bailed out without a parachute and was now plunging at top speed towards a sudden stop. He had no way of knowing that just around the corner in a narrow, unlit alley, an angel awaited. Tom had poured himself into a business only to see it wither and die. At 30 years of age, everything was lost, including his spirit. Alone, broken, hope in the future gone, the IRS bill collectors and landlords were suffocating him. He escaped into alcohol and drugs. Addiction was squeezing him tighter and tighter. His will gone. He staggered along the street that winter night, drinking and drugs rule his existence. Tom called a cheap fifth-floor walk-up home, but he preferred not to use the front door as serious bill collectors often stalked the area. He learned to come and go on a metal fire escape hanging in the alley at the rear of the building. Setting himself against the wall and trash cans, Tom groped along the darkened corridor, but a night spent feeding his habits was too much, and with the last spark of consciousness fading, his body crumbled to the freezing asphalt. Slowly, very slowly, a strange sensation pulled Tom back up. Something wet was making quick, short, abrasive strokes over his face. As he laid on his back, another observation crept into Tom's clouded mind. There was a weight on his chest. His hand moved to investigate. Fur? What the? His eyes snapped open and he found himself nose to nose with a very large cat. Startled, he scrambled to his feet with all of the speed his condition would allow. Finding the fire escape, he clambered up the five floors to his apartment. The next day found Tom a bit more in control. Descending the iron steps, he was surprised by the cat leaping from a pile of cardboard boxes to greet him. 
big black short hair and wearing a collar. Tom thought the cat had to belong to someone in the neighborhood. So he began walking the streets, hoping if the cat recognized his home, he would go to it. As if an invisible leash tied the two together, the cat matched Tom stride for stride. Tom and the cat were still walking when the sun slipped from the sky. Returning to his apartment, he and the cat parted company at the fire escape. A violent winter storm gripped Detroit the following day. Tom stayed inside and gradually a tiny cry caught his attention. Opening the window, he was amazed to see the snow-covered cat looking up at him, meowing softly. It had struggled up five icy flights of steel steps and bypassed several other apartments to present himself to Tom. Looking down at the pitiful creature, he opened the window a little wider and his new friend darted in, tail fully erect. Life hadn't yet bottomed out for the pair. In the next few months, they were forced from the apartment and onto the street. Sleeping in doorways, Salvation Army collection boxes, and flop houses. Tom always felt that warm little body next to him, no matter where they passed that night. By now, Tom was so entangled in his own hopelessness, drugs, and alcohol, he desperately looked for a way out. Sitting in an isolated river, he held a loaded revolver in his hand, cocking and uncocking the hammer, putting the barrel in his mouth, then taking it out. He just needed a little spark or nudge, and all of his troubles would be over. As he repositioned the gun barrel in his mouth, a persistent nudge gently pushed his hand and the gun away. Tom glanced down into the golden eyes staring up from his lap. Hey, if I do this, he thought, who would take care of the cat? Putting the gun away, he laid back on the grassy riverbank and slept. Each time over the next few years, when his will to hold on weakened, the cat was there, staring deep into Tom's very soul. There was no bolt of lightning or clap of, or of thunder, no inspiring revelations, but slowly and for reasons he still doesn't understand, Tom, starting fighting for control, Eventually, he walked to the front of a room full of strangers and said, Hello, my name is Tom, and I am an alcoholic. He found work and began putting his life together. Eleven years had slipped by since his friend found him in the dark, cold alley. Tom came home from work one evening and after dinner sat down to watch television, as he had done for so many years. The cat snuggled down into his lap. Looking down, Tom gently struck his friend. You know, Tom spoke softly. You've really been here for me when I needed you, and I think I'm getting myself together. I'm going to be okay. If you want to leave or check out, you don't have to stay on my account. Then Tom dozed off, his chin falling forward to rest on his chest. Only a few minutes passed when Tom awoke and immediately he knew his friend was gone. Those golden eyes that spoke so clearly for so many years were closed forever. The story comes to us from John C.
Beautiful, beautiful, wonderful story. I believe I read that before, but it's good sharing it again. Let's see, what else we got here? What other story? Uno mas. I like stories of alcohol. Now, that was similar to my story. I had the IRS, district attorney, bill collectors, nowhere to live, drunk. Uh, but I didn't have a gun. I probably was not that much in despair. But I did go to Alcoholic Anonymous, thanks to the courts. Okay, our next story is uh, called The Heap. The Heap. A lot of people buy old cars and then drive and drive them until they are much older. The definition of old begins over 120,000 miles. These cars get so old that it is difficult to tell one from another. They all began to look alike inside and outside, but they get the job done again and again. They gain respect, a place in the family, and even acceptance and understanding of frequent breakdowns. If you work in a drug and alcohol treatment facility, the sight of an old family automobile delivering a patient is common. Once they are there, the driver hurries inside with, I got him this far, somebody help. Cars rust, rusting must start inside somewhere, then it just pops out in spots through the paint. Once it starts, it goes fast from a speck to many specks to a whole part. It's the same with addicts. Rusty cars are hard to remember new. Their vexations blot out the memory of their charm, their accessories, and even particular model year. It takes concentration to call up the original image. It's the same with alcoholics. The rusty 12-year-old auto with 180,000 miles on it brought the blonde, blue-eyed young man with the effects of 12 years of drinking and drugging on his body to the door of the treatment center. The car and the young man had started their rusting at the same time. Dad tried to get the 210 pound body out of the back seat, but only succeeding by getting his son turned onto his stomach with his hair, hairy legs sticking stiff out of the back door. He went inside for help. Mom sat in the front seat, staring straight ahead, but not listening to the half-anesthetized, slobbering snore. There was an occasional grunt or a moan, which was it. She couldn't tell. She didn't dwell on it. She was half-thinking on the sad curiosity of times and events that rust people. When did the first spots appear? When did decay sit in? When did the child's acceptance turn to rebellion? When did the blue in the eyes become matched with the red instead of white and perhaps next yellow? When did the tiny soft pink kicking feet become rough and dirty embedded? When did this coarse dirty black hair replace the smooth curving velvety kissable skin 
When did the smell of baby powder and baby lotion turn to the odor of an unbathed body and secondhand whiskey and cigarettes? When did a spit up turn to throw up? When did wet diapers turn to wet undershorts? Sad, so sad, the baby is still in there with a rusting body and short-circuit brain to deal with whatever life is left. She blinks tears away and her whens turn to what's. What happened to the adventuresome Hugh, whose methodical searching of a fascinating world became an intense panic for another fix, another drink? Another free fast meal or fuzzy memory fornication. <coughs> what happened to the athlete whose gazelle like gal became a device to stay ahead of trouble? Accountability and responsibility. What happened? His innovation to deception, his persuasiveness to manipulation, and authoritative nature to bully. What became of the energy, the schedules, and numerous small jobs that were replaced by lethargy, wanderings, and big deals? What happened to the many noisy friends whose visits to the house were replaced by whispered phone calls to just a few? She blinked again, but her once did not turn to wise. Spending days such as this, many days over, was not unusual in her life. Wasting time is normal. Interruption is normal. Angry is normal. Broken promises and no plans are normal. She came from an alcoholic family. She married an alcoholic. Now her son is an alcoholic and an addict. That seems normal. She cannot question the why of normal. Not even the why of how come all these heaps around me are alcoholics and not me? Why am I spared? Why am I not more upset and even now myself drinking over the death and disappearance of my baby laying on the back seat? These things are too sad to ponder. She decided as she shifts her own 210 pounds to reach the glove box and her stashed Twinkies behind Dad's pint. The bra strap over her giant breast prosthesized break again. You are all such rushing heaps, she reflects without emotion once again, and she bites into the spongy cake. Oh well. Before her cake meet the creamy center, she already feels the familiar surge of comfort and excitement that will last but a few minutes. Oh well, and the gurgling, resting baby on the back seat continue his death rattle. Epilogue. Three hours later, the young man was in severe withdrawal. Three days later, he was successfully detoxed. Three weeks later, he received a medallion for compelling alcohol and drug rehab. Three months later, he received a chip for attending 90 12-step meetings in 90 days. Three years later, he was employed as a certified unit counselor in an alcohol and drug treatment center. He later became a PhD director of such a center, God Cares. 
Joseph R. Cruz, medical doctor. Wow. Wow. That was his story. He became a doctor. Only by God, by God's grace, only by a 12-step program, by caring individuals that have compassion and pass the message. Have a great day, family. Give them heaven. Limitless love for December the 9th. Don't turn out the lights. A reading from Kenneth and Gloria Copeland's book out of Ephesians chapter 4, 17 and 18 says, This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as other Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their hearts. As believers, we're simply not supposed to live like worldly people. For them, things like selfishness, Bitterness, anger, strife, and gossip, Ephesians 4.31, are just as normal part of life. Their understanding is darkened and their hearts are blinded, so they can't see any other way to live. As Christians, we know better. The light of God has shined in our hearts and revealed God's truth and love. When we willingly step back into those old ways, our thinking and behavior, however, our minds are blinded again. When we let those and attitudes come back, we end up walking in darkness until we repent. Then having alienated ourselves from the life of God, when we need healing in our bodies, we find ourselves unable to receive it. When we need divine wisdom to solve a problem in our lives, we just can't seem to lay hold of it. We cut ourselves off from the light of God so his word, his revelation cannot flow from our spirit up into our minds or out into our bodies. Wait a minute, someone might say. How can that be? I thought that God within us absolutely light, then in him there's no darkness at all. That is absolutely true. There is no amount of darkness that can overcome the light of God in your spirit, no matter how dark the world around you might become. It can never dim the light you have in him. When you make a decision of your will to walk in that light, no amount of darkness can penetrate it. And when you choose to turn out that light by walking in strife instead of in love, you'll find yourself stumbling around in darkness again. When you step over into unforgiveness, disharmony, or envy, those things interrupt the spiritual power current that is flowing from God to you. Although he still wants to bless you and help you, his hands are tied. His power cannot get through you. You are left without his light and without his protection. 
so the devil can't come crashing in to your life to steal, kill, and destroy. The choice is yours. You can choose to walk in the light or you can choose to walk in darkness. God has set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, light and darkness. Deuteronomy 30.19 Choose to walk in the light. Amen. And now we're going to go read Fate to Fate, Kenneth Copeland. Oh, I have no internet connection. Hang on, please. Got plenty of apparatuses here. Kenneth Copeland. You know, um, for me, that faith, walking in love, requires a lot of reading. Uh, like, you know, First John 1, 2, 3, and 4. Uh, and then reading it out loud for a year brought love. Not only love, it brought finances, brought all kinds of stuff. Best thing that ever happened to me, read. I heard Kenny Copeland say one time that if you have financial difficulty, go ahead and read that for a year. Read it. And your financial difficulty will be over. I said, how can that be possible? You read something and then it's going to, you're, it's going to be fixed in a year. And sure enough, uh, it happened. And I also read John 14, 15, 16, and 17, which was a lot of love. I think the, the love of God is mentioned about 60 times in in those uh in those days sixty times folks so I was walking naturally in love I felt the love of God I walked with the love and so it got better things got better it's a lot of work most of us are not gonna do it I can't get myself to do it again or I forget here we go from faith to faith. And we're always tested, by the way. We're always being tested. I always got to keep my shield up, my shield of love. Love, the secret of success, December 9th. <laughs> there you go. Kenneth Copeland, love never fails. 1 Corinthians thirteen eight, the Amplified Bible. Fear of failure, it's haunted all of us at some time in our lives. Fear of failure. Popular psychology tells us to adjust to it. But the word of God tells us that there is failure-proof way to live without it. It is the way of love. If you want to know real success, you must learn to be moved and motivated by love. That's how Jesus was when he was on the earth. Even when John the Baptist was senselessly, brutally murdered, and Jesus went away to be alone. He didn't deviate from the way of love. For, for Matthew 14, 6-14 says, that even then, in that emotionally taxing time, when the people follow him and would give him no solitude, he was moved with compassion and healed their sick. 
I used to wonder how Jesus could just turn away from the terrible crime and not retaliate. What I didn't realize was that he did retaliate. He overcame the works of Satan with compassion. He defeated hatred with love. He attacked Satan in the spirit realm by destroying his works of sickness and disease. Compassion doesn't strike at the surface of things. It goes to the root of the problem. That's why it, it always succeeds. But wait, you may say, I can't operate like that. I'm not Jesus. Yes, you can, because the Word of God says that His love has been shed abroad in our hearts. Romans 5, five. The Word of God says that His love has been shed abroad in our hearts. And 1 John 2.5 says, His love is perfected in you as you keep His Word. There it is. Commit to living the life of love today. Watch God turn failure to success at home, at work, in any situation. Love never fails. Additional scripture reading is in Matthew 14, 1 through 14. Let's go over there. Let's read that. May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and, and give us success in this area. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we go, Matthew 14, chapter 1 through 15, I believe. When Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about Jesus, he said to his advisors, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do so much miracles. For Herod had arrested and imprisoned John as a favor to his wife, Herodias, the former wife of Herod's brother, Philip. John had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of a riot because all the people believed John was a prophet. But at a birthday party for Herod, Herodias' daughter performed a dance that greatly pleased him. So he promised with a vow to give her anything she wanted. After mother's urging, the girl said, I want the head of John the Baptist on the tray. Then the king regretted what he had said, but because of the vow he had made in front of his guests, he issued the necessary orders. So John was beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a tray and given to the girl who took it to her mother. Later, John's disciples came for his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus what had happened. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowds and he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Amen. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, a wilderness, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the village and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, That that isn't necessary. You feed them. Well, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. 
Bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and prayed, and blessed them. He blessed the breads, the molecules. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to his disciples, who distributed to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up the 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day, in addition to all the women and children. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. But we shall live alive and well and full of the, of the abundance of God, the God that Jesus came to give us. We take it all, Lord. We say yes, yes, yes to your love and your promise. Yes, yes, yes to the blood of Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. Heal us, restore us, make us brand new, Lord. Yes, yes, yes to the wonderful water of Jesus Christ, the water that touches the soul. Yes, yes to the grass and the grounding effects of Psalm 23. Yes, Lord. You are our shepherd and you make us lie down in green pastures. We shall not want. You lead us besides the still waters. You restore our souls. You help us to walk in paths of righteousness. This is the path of righteousness, Lord. Listening to your word, reciting your promises, thanking you, God, for your word and your promises. We lift it up to you. Bless it today, Lord, as we get into your word and seek your face forevermore. We are seeking you this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Be restored, people. We are excited. Introduction to chapter 31 of Jeremiah. Here in verses 1 through 40, God paints a joyful picture of renewal. With all the details of repentance, sorrow, forgiveness, laughter, restoration, and hope. Once again, God's people would follow his plan for them, and he would receive their worship and praise. We can experience this kind of restoration, too. We start the process by admitting our needs for God's healing in our lives. God desires to rebuild his relationship with us, no matter how far we may <clears throat> excuse me, stray from him. <clears throat> excuse me when I do all that. God desires to rebuild his relationship with us, no matter how far we may have strayed with him. One of you out there needs to hear that, how far you have strayed from him. Believe me, you're not that terrible, and, you're, and, you're, and you are loved. So just say, yes, Lord, I'm a misfit. I need your, your love and your comfort. Hug me, Father. Hug me. Hold me in your arms. And fix me. Fix me, Jesus. Hold me in your arms and fix me, Jesus. And let him fix you. Amen. Chapter 31. In that day, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they will be my people I will care for the survivors as they travel through the wilderness. 
I will again come to give rest to the people of Israel. Long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. I will rebuild you, my virgin Israel. You will again be happy and dance merrily with tambourines. Again, you will plant your vineyards on the mountains of Samaria and eat from your own garden there. The day will come when watchmen will shout from the hill country of Ephraim. Come, let us go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord our God. Now, this is what the Lord says. Sing with joy for Israel. Sing, shout for the greatest of all nations. Shout out with praise and joy. Save your people, O Lord, the remnants of Israel. For I will bring them from the north and from the distant corners of the earth. I will not forget the blind and the lame and expected mothers and women about to give birth. A great company will return. Tears of joy will stream down their faces, and I will lead them home with great care. They will walk beside quiet streams and not stumble, for I am Israel's father, and Ephraim is my oldest child. Listen to this message from the Lord. You nations of the world, proclaim it in distant coastlands. The Lord who scattered his people will gather them together and watch over them as shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Israel from those too strong for them. They will come home and sing songs of joy on the heights of Jerusalem. They will be radiant because of the many gifts the Lord has given them. The good crops of wheat, wine, and oil, and the healthy flocks and herds. Their lives will be like a water garden, and all their sorrows will be gone. The young women will dance for joy, and the men, old and young, will join in the celebration. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and exchange their sorrow for rejoicing. I will supply the priests with an abundance of offerings. I will satisfy my people with bounty. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is what the Lord says. A cry of anguish is heard in Ramah, mourning and weeping unrestrained. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for her children are dead. For her children are dead. But now the Lord says, Do not weep any longer, for I will reward you. Your children will come back to you from the distant land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, says the Lord. Your children will come again to their own land. I have heard Israel saying, you disciplined me severely, but I deserved it. I was like a calf that needed to be restrained for the yoke and plow. Turn me again to you and restore me, for you alone are the Lord my God. I turn away from God, but when I was sorry, I kicked myself for my stupidity. I was thoroughly ashamed of all I did in my younger days. Is not Israel still my son, my darling child, asked the Lord. I had to punish him, but I still love him. I long for him and surely will have mercy on him. Set up road signs, put up guideposts, 
Mark well the path by which you came. Come back again, my virgin Israel. Return to your cities here. How long will you wander, my wayward daughter? For the Lord will cause something new and different to happen. Israel will embrace her God. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, When I bring them back again, the people of Judah and its cities will again say, The Lord bless you, O righteous home, O holy mountain, and city dwellers, and farmers and shepherds alike will live together in peace and happiness. For I have given rest to the weary and joy to the sorrowing. sorrowing. At this, I woke up and looked around. My sleep had been very sweet. Jeremiah chapter 31, Hope for Restoration. Here again, God paints a joyful picture of renewal with all the details of repentance, sorrow, forgiveness, laughter, restoration, and hope. Once again, God's people would follow his plan for them. And he will receive their worship and praise. We can experience this kind of restoration too. We start the process by admitting our needs for God's healing in our lives. God desires to reveal his relationship with us no matter how far we have strayed from him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we have strayed from us, Lord God, and we have gotten sick in sin, body, mind, and spirit, Lord. Oh, Lord God, we ask you to restore us again. We give you all the parts. We give you, we repent of our actions, Lord. And we give ourselves over to you, Lord. Hold us in your arm, Lord Jesus Christ. You died on the cross for our sins to take away all the sickness and disease and, and death from this world, Lord. Jesus, hold us. Fix us, Lord, that no one else can fix us. Fix our hearts, our minds, and our spirits. We give ourselves over to you, Lord God, and we stay there praising you and thanking you, Lord, and calm as a child. Lord, we give ourselves over to you. Hold us and fix us as you promised, Lord. We are willing, Lord. Take us as we are, Lord. We are willing. And restore us again to your love, Lord. Let us have a touch of your love, Lord. Father, let us experience that love you have for us, Lord. In the arms of your Son, Jesus Christ, and thank you for the Holy Spirit that constantly tells us you love us. I love you. I thank you. I appreciate you, Father. Thank you for your words. We say yes and amen to all we heard. Amen. Go in peace. The Lord be with you and also with you. The restoration of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Amen. Greetings, family. Every once in a while, I'll hear my Father in heaven give me some words. Um, this morning, after getting up at one thirty in the morning, reading uh meditation books and then reading Jeremiah chapter 31 which is restoration really beautiful chapter and getting I fell asleep had a dreams of that I owned a big big house you know and we had people coming in for meetings in the morning and and in at noontime and 
people I didn't know and people all over in the, in my crying in my bedroom and people other people trying to help them and people I didn't know cleaning and 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 organizing my house and dusting it and just a lot of people coming in and out my house I even had an elevator for the second floor and all kinds of stuff but the point I'm making is when I got up and half asleep I walked through the uh, corridor which is the uh, the hall of the house and I heard God say big big house <clears throat> big big house so here it is that's a, I know it's a song and it was from the 70s I believe or, or 80s My Father's House. It's also known as My Father's House. Come and go with me to My Father's House. With lots and lots of love. Play football. Amen. That's Alcoholic Anonymous for you. 
12-step program, that's exactly what happened to me. Lots of love and laughter and don't take yourself too seriously. If you read the book, you can fix your life. Thank you for listening.